sjunge om en held, vidt berømt ved sønn og bælt, om en herre kæk og bold, om den tapper... Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates author interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelsang. And today's show is part of our Smithsonian Associates author interview series, and we have an excellent program about Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, The Wife of Bath. As a matter of fact, we're listening to the Smithsonian Folkways recording of Chaucer's Wife of Bath poem, which has been described by many scholars, including our guest today, as some of the finest poetry produced in the English language prior to Shakespeare. Thank you so much for listening today. As I say, we have got a great guest today who, after reading her new book, I've been looking forward to speaking with her for a while. I'm going to introduce her in just a moment, but quickly, if you missed any episodes. Last week was our 684th episode when I spoke to Smithsonian associate Katie Hickman about her new book, Bravehearted, The Women of the American West. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Monard, pickleball pro, national champion, about her new book, Pickleball for Dummies. Wonderful holiday and New Year's relevant shows. If you missed those shows along with any others, you can go back, check them out, along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we will read it at the end of each show. So please leave reviews on Apple Podcasts for us. I mentioned that we are listening to the Smithsonian Folkways recording of Chaucer's Wife of Bath poem. Today, our guest is Smithsonian Associate Marion Turner. Marion Turner will be appearing via Zoom at Smithsonian Associates coming up, and the title of her presentation is The Wife of Bath. Please check out our show notes for more information about Marion Turner's Smithsonian Associates presentation. But we have Marion Turner today. <laughs> Marion Turner will share with us an entertaining and enlightening interview. Marion Turner is a professor of English literature at the University of Oxford. Marion Turner will tell us the fascinating story of the origin of Chaucer's favorite character, the wife of Bath, how she related to contemporary real women, and how she has represented since the 14th century, both in literature from Falstaff and Molly Bloom, to real social movements such as the hashtag MeToo movement, why the poem is still so important, including to many who, like me, support Black Lives Matter. I'm going to read an extract from my book, The Wife of Bath, A Biography. And this extract talks a little bit about what it was like to be a working woman after the plague, so after the big pandemic hit in the middle of the 14th century. The Wife of Bath's prologue reflects a world in which women worked. There are several references throughout the prologue to the kind of household in which Alison and her succession of husbands live. She mentions our maid, her nurse, and my chambermaid within my bedroom. This is a world of female wage labour, a household in which several women are employed for varying tasks. In later medieval England, girls often left home to work elsewhere for a few years to earn money before, in many cases, marrying. This social model was radically different from a social model in which girls married early and entered their husband's family home, a standard practice in many medieval and later cultures but largely confined to the very highest echelons of Northern European societies. In some contemporary societies, wealthier households relied on slave labour to do the service work of the household and look after the house and the older generation. 
Tuscan society, for instance, depended heavily on slave labour after the plague, and a decree on the 2nd of March 1363 permitted the unlimited importation of foreign slaves to Florence. One list of the slaves sold during the latter decades of the century includes 357 names. The vast majority, 329, were women or girls, almost all of whom were between the ages of 12 and 30. The casual references to servants in the Wife of Bath's prologue in fact remind us of the economic opportunities for girls and women at this time in England. The high proportion of wage labourers in Northern European society at this time is striking. While around 50% of the population of England across the 14th and 15th centuries were wage labourers, the equivalent statistic for China during the Ming Dynasty, 1368 to 1644, is 1% to 2%. Going into service was one key way of entering the labour market for English girls, and both opportunities and wages increased after the Black Death. In 1377, 38.2% of households in York had servants and 31.9% of the adult population was in service. Across the post-plague decades, there was a noticeable influx of labour into the cities, especially female labour, as women came to urban centres as apprentices or servants. It also helped to create an environment in which lifelong single women proliferated, in sharp contrast to other contemporary societies, for instance in Southern Europe or in European Jewish communities. The late 14th century poem, How the Good Wife Taught Her Daughter, can be seen in this context. This is an advice poem from a woman to her daughter, and it is predicated on the idea that the parent and adolescent child are separated, that the daughter is making her way in the world away from her parental household, a situation unthinkable in many societies. The poem is not wholly chronological. But to a certain extent, the early part of the poem depicts a situation in which the girl is single and may be receiving offers of marriage. Later in the poem, the girl is married and then a mother herself. Eventually, she is imagined passing on the advice to her own adolescent daughter. In the first part of the poem, the mother envisions a situation in which the girl is approached by a suitor and she urges her to show him to her friends and not to go anywhere with him where they might fall into sin. It seems clear that the mother is here warning her daughter about situations in which she might find herself now that she is no longer under the parental roof. There might have been readers of this poem who resisted, who did exactly what it warned against. These girls led risky, unconventional and adventurous lives and, having left their villages and moved to town, now went to taverns, worked for a living, chatted to men, laughed in church and did all the things that the good wife warns against. The maids of the Wife of Bath's prologue remind us that Chaucer lived in a world in which women did not tend to move seamlessly from daughter to wife, from parental to marital home. A large proportion of women worked for at least a part of their life cycle, and this work often involved living in their workplace out of the overt control of their parents. Being a servant might not seem desirable to many of us today, but the opportunity to earn money gave women choices that their counterparts in Southern Europe, for instance, tended not to have to the same extent, and shifted the generational and gendered balance of power somewhat. Both job opportunities and wages increased noticeably in Chaucer's lifetime due to the seismic economic effects of the Black Death. 
That, of course, is our guest today, Marion Turner, reading from her new book, The Wife of Bath, a biography. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates, author, interview series on radio and podcast, Smithsonian Associate, Marion Turner. Marion Turner, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be a good one. We're, of course, going to be talking about your new book, The Wife of Bath, a biography, and I'm excited to get into that. We're also going to be talking about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. You will be at the Smithsonian Associates really coming up here January 20th. You'll be uh, on Zoom. We're talking today uh, overseas in in, uh, in the U- You're in the UK. I'm here in the United States. And uh, I think this is just going to be a wonderful presentation. Why don't we start with uh, just a quick question about uh, the presentation itself. Maybe tell us briefly about it. And since we're all on Zoom these days, how will you use Zoom to engage our audience? Yeah. So in that presentation, I'm going to be talking about why the wife of Bath is the first ordinary woman in English literature. What I mean by that, um, how she relates to real medieval English women. So I'm going to talk a bit about what life was like for medieval women. I don't think it was the way that people expect it. Um, And I will also cover what happened to the wife of Bath after Chaucer's death when an enormous number of writers and artists rewrote her and she becomes a kind of touchstone for how people think about gender right across time up to the present day. And in my Zoom presentation, I'm going to use the use the visual aspects of the presentation to show various images from across time of uh, medieval women, of images of gender in medieval times, but also of things like 17th century ballads, Zadie Smith's 2021 play, all kinds of different visual reminders of how the wife of birth has been treated across time and in her own time. Thank you for that. And and thank you again for reading from the book. That's uh, very generous of you, and we appreciate it. That was that was wonderful to have that. Uh, again, the title of the book is The Wife of Bath, a biography. And I wonder if you can tell us who who is the wife of Bath in medieval times and and as a as a medieval woman? Yeah, so or women. So in Geoffrey Chaucer's yeah. Canterbury Tales, um, which he wrote uh-huh. towards the end of the 14th century, he has a collection of pilgrim characters. Now there are three named women within those those pilgrim characters. Two of them are nuns. And then there is the wife of Bath. So she is the only female character who's not a nun in the Canterbury pilgrimage group. And she is quite a woman. She has been married five times. She has traveled all over the world. She's a really interesting character. And she relates to medieval women in in a number of interesting ways. And I think it's about that... um... The relationship that we get this understanding of of women in those times and how different they were, um, at least portrayed by uh, Chaucer in those times, in in juxtaposition to how they were portrayed in literature prior to that. And I wonder if you could tell us maybe before The Wife of Bath, how, how were women portrayed in literature? So in English literature, before The Wife of Bath, Women in literature are, well, we have queens, princesses, damsels in distress, you know, beautiful virgins that need to be rescued and looked after by knights. There are also 
evil women. There are witches, there are crones, old crones, there are prostitutes and old bored you know, procuress figures, kind of pimps for, for younger women. Um, so there's various kinds of stereotypes. But what we don't have in English literature before the wife of Bath is what I'm calling an ordinary woman. Now, of course, in many ways, the wife of Bath is extraordinary. But by ordinary woman, I mean, this is someone who is sexually active, has been married several times, is middle aged, is what we would think of as middle class. She's from a mercantile background. She's inherited money. She's also worked in the cloth trade. So in many ways, she is ordinary. And that kind of woman just hadn't had a voice before the wife of Bath. Mm-hmm. And this this ordinary woman, she is determined to tell her own story in the book. And, and in doing so, she talks very openly, explicitly about her life. She was this very real woman, I, I found, and she had real life issues. And I wondered if you just tell her tell our audience a little bit about her life and some of her exploits and, and some of her challenges. Absolutely. And first of all, one of the really interesting things about what Chaucer does here is that he allows her to tell us much more about her own life, her experience, her subjectivity than he does any of his other characters. So in the Canterbury Tales, the tale tellers usually have a prologue before they their own tale. And in that prologue, that's when they might tell us a little bit about themselves. Most of the prologues are very short. Sometimes they involve kind of banter between different pilgrims. Three of the pilgrims have a more detailed prologue. But the other two who have these confessional prologues, they're a couple of hundred lines. The Wife of Baths is over 800 lines. So she is given the opportunity to tell us far more about herself and to to be developed as a character in a way that none of the other characters are. So she has that extremely long prologue. And then after that, she also has her tale, the story that she tells, which is not explicitly about herself. It's about something else. But you were asking me about then what does she tell us in this incredibly long um, self-description? So, so she tells us largely about her five husbands and about the struggles that she has with them and the importance of gaining economic independence. So she gets into a lot of trouble when she gives up economic independence to one of her husbands. Now, in the course of this prologue, there's a couple of different, well, there's many different things going on. But one strand is that we really get the power of her voice. She's very funny. She's very self-critical and self-deprecating. She tells us all kinds of outrageous things about her faults, about how she does all the things that women were accused of in medieval times. So she tells us about that in great detail and she laughs at herself. She laughs at her critics. She challenges traditional authority. There's all kinds of things going on there. And she also talks about the way that she gossips with her friends and likes to drink and all these kinds of things. But there is also a very serious side to the prologue because she also tells us about domestic abuse, about how she was beaten and attacked by her husband, um, by her fifth husband in particular, how she can still feel it in her on her body, how she was deafened by his blow. And she keeps returning to this in various ways throughout her, her prologue, her description of her own life. And then when she goes on to tell a story, the story that she tells is 
a fairy tale story, but it's also a story about rape. So there are very, very serious issues, issues that were serious then and that are serious now in her prologue and tale. They're very entertaining stories, but they also have extremely important messages. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with Marion Turner. Marion Turner will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates coming up January 20th. We're going to put links so that our audience can find out more information about Marion Turner, her new book, which is wonderful, titled The Wife of Bath, a biography, her upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, and more information about Marion Turner, who is a professor of English literature and language at the University of Oxford. So great to talk to you today, Marion Turner, about this book. There's just this great uh uh, reception of the book online. I, I read some wonderful reviews, and, and in particular, Zadie Smith says, Marion Turner is a wonderful Chaucer scholar, able to convey the fascination of his works and world over the great distance of 600 years. The book's fantastic, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about it because the book has these amazing illustrations. I just want to encourage our audience to get the book, check out these all of these illustrations. Congratulations on all of the work. I think one illustration that caught my eye is titled The Volva Pilgrim Brooch. And I wonder if you'd just tell us a bit about the significance of using the vulva in medieval times as it relates to women. This, this, this seems to be almost uh, a bit contrary to this ordinary powerful, strong woman, yet being very feminine. And so I I thought, well, is this a symbol of lust for women? It, it just struck me as an interesting um, illustration. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? And you're absolutely mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. This is really an example of medieval misogyny. So while much of my much of this book is saying to people, look, medieval women actually had all kinds of opportunities and did all kinds of interesting, risky, fascinating things that you might not have known about. And it's talking about women who traveled, women who took working opportunities, those kinds of things. But another important strand of the book is the fact that they are having to do these interesting things in a in a context in which there is all kinds of patriarchal oppression still, that they are they are not easily able to do all the adventurous things that they did. So, sorry, there was a ding there. <laughs> they are not <laughs> always okay. easy. They are not always, it's not always easy for them to do all of the adventurous things that they did. So this example that you mentioned here, the vulva brooch. So when women went on pilgrimage, when men went on pilgrimage too, they could buy souvenirs. And people often liked to buy souvenirs on pilgrimage. And one, one, 
one souvenir that men would buy on pilgrimage was this little brooch, which is an extraordinary image. So the brooch was a vulva wearing a hat with little feet and carrying a pilgrim staff. So it's a, a vulva dressed up as a pilgrim, which in some ways you know, sounds very comic. But what it's supposed to suggest is that women who go on pilgrimage are only going on pilgrimage in order to have sex. All they are is walking genitalia. There is no spirituality. There's no brain. There's no devotion. Now, in actual fact, women were going on pilgrimage for all kinds of reasons, to travel mainly for devotional reasons. They also, sometimes they were also traveling for business and doing other things. There's a great deal of evidence that when women went on pilgrimage, they were very anxious about rape, about being vulnerable while they were traveling. They needed to make sure they, they had protection with them, that they were traveling in groups who could look after them um, because they were very vulnerable. But these kinds of, of brooches were really openly saying all women are is their sexual availability. So it's it's quite quite sobering and quite striking that we still actually have these physical objects which are a um a reminder of what some of these women were fighting against when nonetheless they did manage to go off and travel all around Europe and to the Holy Land Jerusalem and to do you know these amazing feats um despite the the oppression that they still mm-hmm. faced. Yeah, the, the the book is fantastic. The illustrations are are amazing. Thanks, thanks for that 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 description. I appreciate it. The, the book is is divided into two parts. The second half is titled Allison's Afterlife. Um, Allison being the the wife of Bath. I wonder if you'd tell us about the wife of Bath and the afterlife portion, and in particular what you mean by this, the afterlife, because there is a real. Um, currency to the story today and to the biography today, uh, a global story about this um, notion, uh, perhaps a a touchstone for the the silencing of women, Um, the Me Too movement, the references to uh, Black Lives Matter. All of this is very relevant today. And and maybe tell us a little bit about your your intention there. Thank you, Paul. Well, when I first planned this book, I knew I wanted to have a section about the afterlife. I didn't know how much I was going to find. You know, I knew there would be some interesting material, but the more I looked into it, the more I realized that almost every major author across the last 600 years seemed to have been interested in the wife of Bath. So when I talk about her afterlife, I mean, what happened really after Chaucer finished writing about, about her and after Chaucer's death. So from 1400 to the present day, and when I looked across time, I could see that people, including Dryden, Pope, Gay, James Joyce, Ted Hughes, Zadie Smith, all kinds of authors had written new versions of the Wife of Bath's prologue and or tale. This had also happened in other countries. I mean, Voltaire, for example, in France, wrote a version of her tale in the 18th century. There are plays in early 20th century America based on the wife of Bath. And we see different versions of her as a character, of her prologue, of her tale. We see this in drama, in poetry, in the novel, in performance, in film, in TV. Just it's almost extraordinary, almost unbelievably widespread how interested people have been. You know, I found Brazilian plays about her from just a few years ago, um, posters from communist Poland in the 1970s that focus on her, 
all kinds of things. And as you say, it really is a global story. One thing that I found particularly interesting was that in the last couple of decades, many of the people writing new versions of The Wife of Bath have been women of colour. And my final chapter focuses especially on three black British authors who have written versions of her prologue and tale and have really tried to think about how we can engage with Chaucer and a diverse understanding of British history, which is absolutely fascinating. And you also mentioned, as well as you know, race, there's also, of course, the gender element and the idea of Me Too, because what she talks about is precisely rape and domestic abuse, issues that are still absolutely you know, crucial to women today. And right across time, we see her... Um, the attempt we see the attempt of many authors to silence her so there were ballads about her that were burnt for example we see some versions of her prologue and tale that really mutilate what she was trying to say but she keeps on resurfacing you know over and over again so there it is a, a kind of triumph story in that she does keep coming back her voice does keep being more powerful despite people's attempts many people's attempt to put her down we also see other people who are amplifying her voice. And this voice is its really a unique voice in English literature, I think, in terms of what it does and how it's lasted. And I really can't think of another character in literature that has had this kind of reach and power across time. So it is a quite extraordinary story. It really is. And the book is is ex- equally extraordinary. Again, Marian Turner has been our guest. Marian Turner will be at Smithsonian Associates coming up. Check out our show notes today for more information about Marian Turner's presentation at Smithsonian Associates. Links to where our audience can find out about uh, Marian Turner's new book, The Wife of Bath, a biography, and more information about this uh, just, I think, enlightening talk by Marian Turner coming up at Smithsonian Associates. Of course, um, this is just an amazing character and uh we so appreciate your time today marion turner especially reading from the book and and telling us about the wife of bath and how she relates to contemporary women and and these medieval women as well so thank you for your time happy holidays to you and yours i hope uh, all's well there for you and we're looking forward to seeing you january 20th on zoom well, it's been my pleasure, and I also am very much looking forward to my, my, my talk at the Smithsonian on the 20th of January. So thank you, Paul. My thanks to author and Smithsonian associate Marion Turner and her new book, The Wife of Bath. Thanks, Marion, for reading today. Marion Turner will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, so please check out our show notes today for more details about Marion Turner at Smithsonian Associates. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old, Better Show audience here on radio and podcast. Please be well and be safe, which I am mentioning in every show because I want to bring attention to the issue of assault rifles, which aren't safe in anyone's hands. The military and law enforcement needs them. That's the extent of who has to have those. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn. Schools, please, let's work together to eliminate assault rifles and let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast Smithsonian Associates author interview series. Thanks, everybody, and be well. Den skal var han var på lisk, gik omkring og salte fisk.
fjenden bag sin egen vold, narret blev af tordens kjold. Skal til kamp på bølgens tap, danne bro i stavnen op, giv dig bag det trøde fold, stå en held som tordens kjold.